Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. Now I'm into message mode. We're going Acts chapter 15 today. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. And uh, Acts 15 is an amazing passage of scripture. Uh, and, and, but the thing that we're going to be talking about, and, and it's really just a jumping off thing. It's really not the deeper truth, but we're talking circumcision. Who's excited? So circumcision is what we're talking about today, but it's in Acts 15. And, uh, and this book Acts, if you're new to our church family, we've been talking about Acts in this season for us because we said, Hey, we got to be really careful to not have mission drift in this season. We have to be really careful to bake it about the things that Jesus makes it about. The early church is centered on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the catalyst for all that God does in the early church. And we see in Acts 15, there, there begins to be some mission drift. So instead of making about it what it used to be about, now all of a sudden by the time we get to Acts 15, some people are making it about some peripheral issues, some gray areas. And, um, and so we believe as the church, we mentioned this week one, that the local church is not a building. We love a building. That's great. We like air conditioning. Awesome. We, we appreciate the lights and all that good stuff. Restrooms, indoor plumbing is great. But, but, but church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a system or program. Church is a people. You are the church. You are what Christ died for. You are what Christ, uh, when he dreamed of how he was going to change the world, it was you. And, and when God made a plan for the ways that he was going to carry out the good news of who Jesus is, it was you. And so um, that is both the beauty of the local church. It's also the liability of the local church, right? So uh, it's football season, and uh, I don't know how your team's doing, but, but it's football season. And so just imagine with me real quick that you're a football coach, and you're coaching this team, and you have people on your team who know the game. They know all the rules. They've been playing for a long time. There's an intuition. There's a football acumen mentally. You know, they just know what's going on. And then you have newer players that they have no context. Maybe they're naturally just really great athlete, but they just don't know what they're doing. And then you have people who are fast. They just can't catch a cold. You have people who are strong. They're just slow as Christmas. You know, you have like all these different gifts, and you have to figure out as the head coach, hey, how do I leverage? How do I use all these gifts in order to, you know, in order to win and in order to be successful? And, and so what we see in Jesus in his church is that you and I, it's in a gross metaphor, it's not perfect, but it's similar. And that you and I are bringing all of our predispositions and our experiences, and some of us have a lot of acumen, some of us have a lot of experience in the local church. Maybe you're a mature follower of Christ, you've been doing it for a long time, you know the rules, you got the Christian needs, you know what to say. You know, so if you're, if you're newer to faith, you're newer to this space, you don't know what to say, it's adorable. We love it. It's amazing. When you're, when you're new to faith in Christ and you have no context, you just say stuff, you're like, ooh, like, because no has told you yet you can't say it and so like that happens or people who have just different gifts right everybody bringing their collective gifts to the table that's what the local church ought to look like 
And so uh, because of that, because God desire, he desires to build his church through people, sometimes it can be hard for us to line up, for us, for us to have real unity. Sometimes people are butting heads in the church, and sometimes our old allegiance will get in the way of now our primary allegiance, which is Jesus. So we'll drift back to a place of comfort or we'll go back to the way that we used to think. Or we'll make it about us and our agenda rather than making it about Jesus and his message. And in Acts 15, we start to see some issues pop up where there's a disagreement in the church because there's a group of people that say, you know what, we used to do it this way. Let's kind of bring back this idea. Look at verse 1 in Acts 15. It says, certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And so a lot of the early church, the first followers of Christ, were first Jews before they became Christians. And because of that, uh, they carry with them a lot of tradition, a lot of rich history, a lot of amazing things that Jesus would affirm. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. But they show up on the scene and they're adding, hey, Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus legal things or Jesus plus tradition. And so they start to say, hey, the only way you can do this thing is if you guys get circumcised, which is not a great church growth strategy. I'm just going to go out, go ahead and like the, the church in Antioch, the men, the men in the church in Antioch, the, the head count was a little low. Dad's whipping through, dropping off mom and the kids, not going to the growth track, growth track step two, if you know what I'm saying. So, so but that's, that's what we see in verse one. Verse two, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers. These are elders. These are people who are mature in the faith, have experienced Jesus. Paul has firsthand resurrected Christ. And now they go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So not only do they have a, an apostolic call in their life, they're leaders in the church, mature in the faith. They're like, you know what? Let's consult other people. Let's get some wise counsel. We got to navigate this right. Let's go to Jerusalem. And it's so important that Paul and Barnabas, they leave what they're doing to come back and deal with the situation. Verse six, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. If you've been reading through Acts, you know that previous, uh, a few chapters ago, God decided, hey, let's broaden this. We're taking, we're going missional, but instead of just focusing on uh, God's chosen people, the Israelites, you know what, we're broadening this to the nations, to the end of the earth. Now I want you to take this message to the Gentile audience, people who hold no context, don't have a Bible, don't have an Old Testament, don't know anything about Jesus. Take this message, uh, this hope of who Christ is to the ends of the earth. And Peter has this vision where God says, take it to everybody. And so that's what he's referencing. Hey, do you guys remember when God said to take it to everybody? Verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. And so Peter is saying, hey, logically, God told us to take this message to everybody. And here's how we know that they're in Christ, because they have the Holy Spirit, just like you and I have the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus... God gives you his presence by his spirit. He just comes alive inside of you. And so this is what Peter's referencing. Hey, it's not about keeping a bunch of rules or it's not about any of that. Here's how we know that they've, again, it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, I see you for who you are. I'm placing my faith there. And then I come alive. I'm, I'm giving over to your spirit. And then um, 
Look at verse 9. He says, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. I love that phrase. Verse 10, now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? And I love that because Peter says, hey, what are we doing like, why are we doing Jesus plus anything else? Like, that's not, that hasn't worked for us historically. There's been 613 Jewish laws. Ain't none of us been able to keep, Peter's taking inventory personally. He's like, listen, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been able to keep the, all them laws either. Like, I don't know why we're trying to obligate a people group who have no context to these laws that you and I can't even keep ourselves. That's the reason why we need Christ. And so Peter, he says, man, I can't be in this alone. There's no way that all of you are right by way of the law. You're only right by way of Christ. And so he's just reminding them of the gospel. And so look at verse 11. No, he says, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. God calls Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries to the Gentile people, and they begin to give a report. Here's the amazing things that God has done in the Gentiles, uh, you know, sans circumcision or anything else. Like, we didn't add any of that. We just only added Jesus to the mix. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. And brothers, he said, you go down to verse 19, it says, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And I love that, and I think that ought to be every church's posture. Let's don't make it difficult for Gentiles to turn to God, a.k.a. let's don't make it difficult for people to find Jesus. Let's don't make it difficult for others to come to Christ. What are we doing why are we adding a bunch of things on top of what, I mean, it's not needed. It's not necessary. And so I, I believe that should be our statement as a church. Let's don't make it difficult. And if you're new to church or new to a relationship with Jesus, let me be one of many leaders here at Soma to say, we need Jesus just like you need Jesus. We're just as jacked up as you are. Like, and I need Jesus tomorrow. I'm going to need him next week. I'm going to need him 10 years from now. And I might mature in Christ, and I'll change, and God is doing a transforming work on the inside of me. But the message of me needing Jesus never changes. And it's no amount of religious activity. There's no amount of boxes that I check. No amount, like, you can make things a means to an end, or you can make things an end in of themselves. And for us as a church, if you're not careful, you'll, tell, you'll take some of the things that we're giving you, the good things that we're giving you, you'll turn those into God things. Things like reading your Bible is amazing. Things like showing up on a Sunday, amazing. Things like being in a group, things like serving, things like giving, all of that, again, is good, and I would say even godly. But all of that is a means by which you experience Christ. That's the whole goal. And if you're, if you're, if you're struggling with the Christian life, it's because you're focused on the vehicle. It's because you're focused on the boxes that you have to check rather than, you know, what Jesus himself, but we need Jesus. I know I need God's help. You need God's help. Look at verse 20. It says, instead, let's, let's write to them. Let's write to this church. Let's tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Everybody's like, hold up. Okay, cool. Like, I was good <laughs> up until this part of the passage. What is happening in this part of the passage? And at first glance, it feels like a random list. Like, don't have immoral sex and don't strangle animals. feels like a random list. 
And here's the reason why these are in this passage. In the pagan world, extramarital sex was commonly accepted as a norm. And so they address what they see as one of the most prominent things in, in, this, in this space for a Gentile context. Hey, this has to be addressed because it's an issue. It's a major issue. Also a major issue is their offense against a Jewish audience. And he's not saying things like lying or murder or stealing. He's not saying it's open season on those things. He's just saying let's address what's commonly accepted in the culture. And for 2,000 years for us as Christ followers, we have separated the moral commandments of God from the ceremonial and the civil commandments of God. So if you're new to that, the whole idea is that God's after your heart. We just read it in a Deuteronomy passage for uh, child dedication. God's after you. He's after your heart, not after your religious activity, not after your uh, fake self, not after your, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to put on airs. He's after you, which is why when Jesus shows up, he takes the law and then raises the bar totally. When they're asking Jesus about certain laws and he's like, what's your motivation in your heart behind them? And people are like, you know. Hey, don't have adultery. And he's like, yeah, but just like don't lust after people. Like it's a hard issue primarily, first and foremost for God. And so, and you could be asking, well, what's the deal with the strangled animal meat? And those things are really offensive in this context to a Jewish audience and to the, to the early church, people who were Jewish by tradition who had come to faith in Christ. And that's why they're reading this passage because they're saying, don't make it difficult for your fellow Jewish Christians. They have cultural sensitivities. Be gracious towards them. And for Paul and Barnabas, for all these early church leaders, they're like, hey, don't get hung up on all this junk out here and miss Christ. Like, what are we doing? Life is short. Stop fighting over things that are gray matter, things that don't really even matter at the end of the day. And focus on Jesus and find your uncommon unity in that. Only hit them with the gospel and the good news. If there's things that cause people to stumble, if there's things that cause an offense, if there's things that are just unnecessary, stop doing them. Stop doing it. Read the room. Right? Some, some of us got to get better at reading the room. Read the room and be like, what would serve this person in this moment? I'll never forget. Uh, I heard it. I love Chuck Swindoll. Got one of the best preaching, preaching voices of all time. I love Chuck. If you don't, Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, Chuck Swindoll, and he had this radio ministry, killer preacher. And uh, he, goes to, he goes to dinner one night. And when he's at dinner, uh, he's getting ready to order a glass of wine. Waiter comes up to him. Waiter says, oh, my goodness, are you Chuck Swindoll? He was like, yeah, and he knew because of his voice. And he was like, sir, I listen to you every single day, and I just thank you so much for your ministry, and, like, God's done an incredible work through you and just the things that you've spoken over my life. And I just struggled real bad with alcoholism and just, like, but God freed me from that. And just, like, and, and so, like, it's just been amazing what God's done in and through your ministry. What would you like to drink? And he was like, I'll have iced tea. Cultural sensitivity, just reading the room, what's this moment, what do I need to do? And that's what they're saying in this, in this early church. All of the people who were listening were thinking they just took 613 laws down to two. <laughs> Avoid sexual immorality and don't offend the Jews is what their, church, is what their message was. And so some, some people who are critics of the church, and there are many, Critics of the Christian faith say that those who practice, they don't take the Bible seriously. Why do you just pick and choose what you want? You point, people will point to Leviticus, for example, and they'll say there's dietary laws and fabric laws. And why, is the, why are we so strict on things like sexual laws or things like that, but, but, you're, but you're inconsistent. You don't like apply the fabric laws. 
And, and it's not that. It's that we're under the authority of the Bible until the authority of Scripture tells us that we're no longer, we're no longer uh, binded to those laws, which is what the Bible says about ceremonial and civil laws. And so we just set aside what the Bible says that we can set aside. And the Bible tells us to continue to observe the moral parts of the law and put aside ceremonial because God is after your heart, which is good news for all my tatted up friends and those of us who love bacon. Somebody make some noise. Come on, let's go. But like praise for bacon? I don't know what. All right, verse 22. They chose Judas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. Greetings. Verse 28, jump down to that. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Verse 30, so the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they had gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So I think there's three things, three takeaways that I see in this passage of scripture. The early church already, it's only Acts 15, already there's this drift towards moving from the way of Jesus to becoming like a religious movement and doing and practicing certain things. There's a mission drift. There's three drifts that I see. We, we do this today. Here's the first one. Drift from passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. We are first and foremost a movement for those who are not here. Once you come to faith in Christ, the greatest part of your own formation, the greatest part of your own discipleship comes when you're focused on those who are not here. And we see this in Jesus, the great shepherd who leads 99 for the one. His whole mission, his whole heart, God's whole desire is to bring into the fold those who are not yet here. And there is a real passion for outsiders. I'll never forget when we first started as a church, Brooke and I, we were like hitting up everybody when we first started. We were like, please, Jesus, somebody come to this party other than my mom. Like, we want someone to come to church because we got it, you know. And so, like, we're just, we're, we're after it. We're just going places. But as you grow and as you mature and as you get success by the world standards, like, and as more people begin to show up, you get comfortable. And you decide we're good. I can't tell you how many people that I know that are in church where we have conversations that don't understand, like, this is primarily a missional effort. That is always only a missional effort. The goal is not to like have a room full of people and be like, we're good. The goal is to have lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people discipled, discipled people sent. The goal is mission and movement to the ends of the earth. Not, there's no cap, by the way. I don't know if this encourages you or depresses you. There's no off switch to the Great Commission. Because people are like, when are you guys going to stop doing it? It's like, Probably never. Like when I die, probably is when we're going to do it. Like, and, and when I'm done, then they'll keep going. Like it's, but, but the whole idea is in Christ, you just keep reaching, keep serving, keep loving, keep telling the message and the hope of Christ to the, end, to the ends of the earth. It's like, what are we doing? Like we're, there's no, all right, we're good. We're comfortable. We got a good budget. Who cares? Like this, so we, we, we have to keep our passion for outsiders rather than pacifying insiders. We should be less a club for those who have it together and more a hospital for broken people. Because you and I were that like not that long ago. But we forget real quick who we were when we met Christ. And so let's not make it hard for people who are trying to get to God. 
And we have to constantly ask the question, what am I doing that make it hard for others to get to Jesus? You need to have that cultural sensitivity. You need to, have the, you need to read the room. You need to be aware. How much of this is necessary? How much of this is not? What is the stumbling block for getting people to Christ? That matters most right now. Not where I find an offense or not where I have a political difference or not where I disagree with you on this situation. What gets you to Jesus? And then he'll do the heavy lifting on all, on all the details. And so if we're not careful, we go from advancing the mission to pre preserving tradition. And Jesus did not die for tradition. And so let's not get so attached to our own comforts and be, and be ineffectual. If someone looks the same in 20 years as it does today, we have missed it. I'll be so ticked. Matter of fact, if someone looks, if it looks the same, it probably won't exist. Or at least it'll be holding on by a thread. What do we need to do dialect-wise? Like the mission doesn't change. The message doesn't change. The methodology, who cares? Like what is the thing that, that people need in order to come to Christ? That's what we need to be as the body of believers. We can't love tradition more than we do others. And so here's my question for all of us. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from reaching other people? What's a stumbling block to the main thing that God's called you to? And then be willing to set it aside. And, and it probably looks like tradition, and it probably looks like ritual, and it probably looks like, and again, it's not that, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying make it a soft gospel or, or don't hold the line on truth. I'm just saying there's a lot that you do that's really just like what we're talking about in this passage by way of tradition, by way of ritual, that really is not like God is first and foremost after the heart. What do we got to do to get people to Jesus? What are, what's in our lives that are keeping people from Christ? So they drift from passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders, but they also drift from grace to law. So this happens for us too. We'll drift from a, from a grace message to a law message. Be good. Which doesn't hold up if you tried to be good. Maybe it's just me. But, like, but if you just try and be good, it's like not working. But if it's like, hey, Christ was good for me, that works. Christ, Christ, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And then he gives you his perfection. He imputes his righteousness to you. And then in death, he offers and extends forgiveness of sins and grace to you. And then in resurrection, he offers you victory over death and hell and the grave and a new life in him. And so no longer is it about performance. Now it's about who I am in Christ, which means your whole life goes from I've got to do these things to I get to do these things. So serving and giving and all of that is totally transformed by Jesus from I get to participate with God in the renewal of all things from, man, I got to go like, I do this thing. You know, like God doesn't care if you're doing a thing out of religious activity or out of a place of compulsion. That's what the law does. And it only brings death. Drifting from grace to law is damning. And it happened in the early church. The good news of Jesus is that you're purified the moment you put your faith in him. Not faith in what you're able to do for him, but what he's already done. So again, everything that we do as a church is a vehicle to help you to know God so you can find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It is not an end in and of itself. It's not like, cool, how many people do we have do this specific thing? And then we're only focused always on the participation rather than the heart transformation. God is only focused on your heart transformation. And we see these, we know they work. We know gathering in a room like this does something for you. 
We know praying with other believers does something for you. We know worshiping together as a church family does something for you. We know getting vulnerable with a handful of people about where you're really at in your life and in your faith and asking them for, for, to pray for the areas that you're struggling in does something for you. We know that actually using the things that you're good at to help advance his cause and his mission gives you over to purpose and fulfillment in ways that nothing else can. Like, we know that. So, like, the whole reason why we say this is our strategy is because we see biblically these things work. But it's always about the grace that God offers us in Christ. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. I love that. He could have said anything in that moment, and he said, done. It's finished. He didn't say, get it together. He didn't say, wow, you guys. y'all." Really? He said, it's done which means in Christ, he's already done everything necessary for me, everything necessary for you. Again, only God brings salvation, not your works, not your ability to jump through hoops. Only God brings salvation. Only God brings heart transformation. Only God brings renewal. Only God brings redemption. Only God brings freedom. If you're struggling in an area of your life, guess what? Only God can help you. And no amount of, like, doing things in your own strength is ever going to bring you to a place. It is a grace message. God loves you, is for you, and is waiting on you to just hand over what you're trying to, to carry in your own strength. You're paying for things twice, and he's like, why are you doing this? I've already paid for it. But after we drift from grace to law, we also see a third drift. And this drift is from eternal transform, internal transformation to external conformity. All these go together. If we're, if we're, if we're, if we're not focused on... The outsider, if we're not focused on the marginalized, if we're not focused on the lost, if we're not focused on the things that God's focused on, we drift to a place of tradition to pacifying insiders. If we're not focused on grace, we'll drift to law. And if, if we're not focused on internal transformation, we'll drift to external conformity. Let's just pretend it's all good. How you doing? Blessed. Highly favored. My life is a dumpster fire, but I can't say that out loud because people will judge me. It's the South. You know what I mean? Like, like, the, like I got to pretend like it's all good. But the entire focus of the message of Jesus is in transforming the heart. And Jesus said that the essence of the law was to love God and love others. And then everything else is an outworking of that, that command. Which means primarily it's like, what is my heart and my motivation as I'm doing what I'm doing, as I'm saying what I'm saying, as I'm going where I'm going? Is it about me? Is this selfish? Is it about others? Is it about loving God and loving people? And in places that lose the focus on this main thing, when we as a church, we replace the focus on outward conformity rather than inward transformation, we have huge mission drip. And the account that we're looking at today in Acts 15 um, the way that the conversation was centered on circumcision, but it could have been anything. It's, it's mildly humorous that it's circumcision, but, but, but it's, but it could have been anything. It could be, Hey, what are the religious things that we attach to the gospel that are unnecessary? And so I'm going to give you a few examples of things that are contentious in modern day churches, especially here in the evangelical South. One is alcohol. So depending on how you grew up, where you grew up, what tradition, what, how, how you approach this one specific issue. Like, I, I, like uh, when we go places, um, like people are, are eating with us or whatever, Brooke and I, and they're like, 
like they're gauging whether or not we're going to get a drink or something. They're like, are they going to get a drink? Are they gonna, you know, like, cause, and then they're making their moves based on, instead of personal conviction, they're making their moves based on what we're doing, which I think is, anyway, that's indicative. But I grew up in a household where it was never touched. And I, I didn't really drink until, I, I never really had my first drink until I was on staff at a church as a, ordained as a pastor. Legit, like I mean that that that'll give you that'll give you kind of a heads up. And so those who have reservations about drinking at all, I'd say there's legitimate reasons, even biblical reasons, biblical defense, for people who decide, hey, it's not for me. There's a New York test, uh, New York Times article, a couple of years ago, that posted research that showed one out of six people who drink have a serious alcohol problem. One in ten kids in the United States grow up in homes with alcohol abuse. Just last year, 2022, there was 140,000 alcohol-related deaths in the U.S. and around 15 million people struggle with alcohol and only around 10% do anything about it. So I was like, it's a thing. It's an issue. And so for those who decide, hey, I would just rather not deal with it, um, I would say there's biblical reasons for that. If your reason is love. If your reason for doing a thing or not doing a thing is love for God and love for one another, great. If your reason for not doing it is, man, I'm afraid because other people will judge me or I, you know, this is just like, if, if the reason for doing thing is compelled to a play, compelled by love, then, then that's, that's loving towards others. But just because something is abused doesn't mean we should get rid of it. Sex is abused more than alcohol, I promise you. No one is advocating to get rid of it. <coughs> 325 kids and so many kids. Not only we pro-life, we're prolific. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we have the babies, right? So, but, but no one's like, hey, let's just do away with that. It's a problem. Words are abused daily. You're still talking. <clears throat> Here's one. Food. Food is abused. And no one's like, let's stop eating. And so how, how do we deal with issues like this? Um, you know, if we want to talk about things that kill, for example, we might have 140,000 deaths last year uh, that are alcohol related, but we have over 300,000 deaths that are obesity, obesity related. And so we just, get, we're funny in the church how we do things. And so even though the Bible warns that alcohol can be abused and people like John the Baptist were teetotalers, we clearly see people in the New Testament drinking fermented drinks, including Jesus. And at one point, Paul even just, he prescribes to Timothy, hey, you should probably drink some wine. Like it's in there. And so those those are also good arguments, but rather than leave this in as, a, as an issue of prayer and personal conviction, sometimes we lock in and it's like, all or nothing, depending on the tradition and the tribe that you grow up in. You got to do this or you got to do this. And the Bible would say, what are we, we're focused on the wrong thing. And also, where's your heart as you do it? So yeah, if you're, if you're sitting with people, if you're entertaining people who you know that that's their conviction, maybe don't, maybe don't drink around them. If you're, if you're spending time with people who you know struggle in that way, don't create an unnecessary stumbling block for your brother or your sister in Christ. If you like, these are the types of things, this the filter, not only for alcohol, but everything in our life. Like everything that we do, this is the filter by which we need to look at it. And so some of us, you'll hear this teaching on alcohol and you're already thinking, you're like, I am gonna tell my mom and dad, I'm gonna leave here. I'm like, as soon as I leave here, I'm gonna go tell that pastor. What, and you just missed my entire message. So like Acts 15 says, think of others before yourself how are my actions going to impact the faith of others? And then, and then where's my heart in all of it? And you can apply it to language 
and profanity. I garnish my speech. I'm like, but it's not just like, hey, don't say that word. It's like, don't gossip. Don't complain. Dear Jesus, some of these things are a bigger deal than if you say that word. You know what I mean? Like, and, so, and I love it too because some of you who are new to faith in Christ, because people who hold no context to the Christian faith is so, it's my favorite. When you're new to faith and people are like, they come up to me like, hell of a sermon. You know what I mean? I'm just like, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm like, <clears throat> but, but it's like, where's your heart while you're doing what you're doing? Where's your heart when it comes to language? Where's, it, where's your heart when it comes to financial stewardship? Where's your heart when it comes to politics? Where's your heart when it comes, you fill in the blank with whatever it is. There's a long list of issues. The big takeaway is that Jesus cares more about your heart and your motivation behind your actions. And so do what you do out of love for him and love for others. Or do we miss your drift and do we make it about our comfort? Do we make it about, man, do we make it about what we want rather than, hey, what would serve God and his mission and his church and his people? We've got to stay focused as a church. Let's don't drift from passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. Let's don't drift from grace to law. Let's don't drift from internal transformation to external conformity. Those things don't hold up. Some of you are tired and because that's where you're at. You're in a place of external conformity. I got to pretend. And it's exhausting. It's draining because you, you weren't meant for it. You were meant for a life of grace. Like Jesus came because you need him. And then he offers us what only he can give us. And so the good news of Jesus is always focused on those not in the room, not yet apart. It's a message of grace reminding us of how much we're forgiven. It's a message that transforms us from the inside out. And, and you can't fake your way into a right relationship with God. You can't fake your way into freedom. Only God can bring transformation. And some of you desperately need that. Some of you, are, you've, been, you've been doing religious things for a hot second, and you need what Jesus has to offer in a real relationship with him. And some of us, you need to be reminded of it, just like this church in Acts 15. They just forgot. It's easy to forget. Do you remember the moment that when you, when you met Jesus? Do you remember the moment of your personal salvation? Do you remember how excited you were? You were so aware. You were, you were really aware of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to those who were broken because you were that. You were really aware of God's grace because you were in it. You were really aware of internal transformation because you felt it. And then we just, but we just get, we forget. And so let's just be reminded in this season for us as a church, God's doing incredible things. Awesome. But while he's doing incredible things, let's stay focused on Christ. Let's don't get to a place of religious activity or doing things, anything other than, hey, man, let's love God so powerfully. Let's just, let, let's just go all in and ask him to do things in our spirit. Just transform us from the inside out. Give us his heart and his vision for people. Help us to really serve people. Read the room and just be given over to this incredible faith like this church in Acts 15. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your message. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, you do things as we open up your word. God, you speak directly to our heart and our situation. Just by your spirit, you tailor that message to what we need to hear. 
And God, I know that for many of us who are followers of you and who have been, we have some tenure and some experience in your church. We've been doing some things out of a place of just religious rhythms rather than real heart transformation. We've been going through the motions. We've been jumping through the hoops, but we haven't been satisfied. It's because we're missing a key ingredient, and that is you. And so if you're here and you're just so tired of pretending and you are so tired of just doing things with no real transformation and no real heart, uh, heart work and no real, it doesn't feel life-giving at all. Doing things out of a place of obligation or compulsion rather than out of a place, just an overflow of a personal relationship with Jesus. I just want to call you back to your first love. I just want to call you back to that moment when you met Christ and you realize I need a savior, I need a Lord, I can't do it in my own strength. No one can. And just would you real, with real, with real conviction, real boldness, would you just pray right now in this moment and just ask God to give you over to a heart for the things that he has a heart for? Just ask him. It's a bold, audacious prayer. If you ask him, he'll answer it. Just say, God, would you just transform my heart from the inside out? Would you bring me to a place of conviction, a place of surrender, a place of repentance? I need to change some things about my mindset, about others. What, is it, what am I doing in my life that's just keeping people from Jesus? And if you're here and you've never had a relationship with Christ, you've never surrendered your life to him, you could have known a lot of things about Jesus or even been in church for a period of time, but you just, man, there's a difference between that and really having a relationship with Jesus where you say, I see you as Savior and Lord. I'm going all in. I'm giving you every bit of my life. Not some of it, not part of it, not most of it. I'm giving you everything. And so if that's you today with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to experience salvation, the Bible tells us it's by faith. It's by God's grace, but through faith, a moment of faith, you place your faith in him and you confess him as Lord. I would love to give you an opportunity to confess Jesus as Lord today as we close. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to confess Christ as Lord, if you want to experience surrender, just lift your hand in the room and say, I know I need that. I know I need real surrender today. I know I need to experience salvation. Amen. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Praise God. Amazing. Awesome. Right where you're at, if that's you, just pray this prayer. Doesn't save you. Jesus already did. But the moment of your salvation is now. You put your, your faith, your full weight on Christ in his finished work. And you just say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I only love you because you love me first. And I realize who you are in this moment to me. You're my Savior and you're my Lord. And you've already paid for my wrong decision. You've already paid for the times I've not been focused the way that I need to. You've already paid for my sin and brokenness. And I place that, my past, my present, and my future at your feet. Thank you for loving me. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me over to a place of your perfection, your righteousness. Not my own. I didn't earn it. You just gave it to me. Thank you for giving me eternity with you. And God, would you lead me moving forward? God, same thing for your church. Help us to just keep this message on our lips. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give it up for what God's doing, what only God can do?